Welcome to Black's Academy and also welcome to our monthly market mix. In our monthly market mixes, we provide Black's Academy listeners with a little bit more information than just about the U.S. stock market. We provide a top-down view and vantage point so that you can be more aware, more educated, and more able to move forward in finding investing and trading opportunities. Let's begin. For the month of September, we're almost at the end of the third quarter. We're going to start off as we normally do with our market review of the market indices, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index. We're also going to talk about the Fed's new plan to handle recession or inflation. And in doing so, we've also come up with an acronym of our own, RIDE. We'll talk more about what RIDE actually means and what it means for your portfolio. and. At the end, we will wrap up with a commodity currency focus, and we're only going to top, top on one of our domestic and global issues, our ongoing topics for 2022, and that's the one at the top of the chain. It is Europe's energy problem. But as stated, let's start with the market review of the indices. First up, as normal, we have the S&P 500 index. As we can see from the top, this is the beginning of the year. We had this sell-off that had everybody pretty much scared and apprehensive and on their heels, some doing even worse until we sort of stabilized and found some support as we got into the middle of June. Uh, we had massive sell-offs in the S&P, the NASDAQ, pretty much equity, but also in the debt markets as well. We saw treasury sell-off. Uh, we saw bond yields, everything was getting clapped, uh, was really kind of an ugly thing, except if, in my case, for those that are traders, this has been a pretty fun market. But for the investing crew, since the middle of June, you've seen that the market, you can see here, as we bounce from this support at 44.7%, which is a Fibonacci level that is used to denote a level of support, which is a price that the market clearly has a hard time getting below. We've shot pretty much straight up and we've come back into a resistance point. And since then, since the middle of August, so we had about two months of, you know, everybody thinking that the market was gonna come back. You could kind of hear it in the tones as people were talking, not only on the news, but your friends and family that are also in the markets. People started seeing their assets come back. People in crypto space and other risk markets started seeing reprieves there as well. But since then, it seems like something's happened. And we did have a couple of happen happenings in the market uh, that we'll get into. But technically here, I'm just going to be honest, I'm not very concerned about what I see. In fact, this has been a pretty orderly correction since the high. And even our moving back up, it's no surprise that we had, you know, some problem getting above 4,300 in the market because as I'll draw now, I'll draw some Fibonacci retracement from the top down to this low that we had in mid-June. And you'll see that some of our favorite Fibonacci levels will show themselves as being markers of market behavior. Now, if you're not familiar with these white and blue lines that I'm referring to as Fibonacci retracements, you probably need to check out some of our courses. Our Foundations of Trading course will tell you more about this and how to use it and have it as a 
effective analysis for your own uh, edification. But I'm going to take some of these lines off here that are not very important. As you can see, this 57.3% level, which comes back into an area of price action that was one support um, even before we got into 2022, you can see that this level is significant and the price has dropped. To be honest, you know, nobody can ever know for sure, but I think as long as we stay above this level, the level to beat really has always been 3,800, which you can see by this 38.2% retracement level. And it got a little bit low that as we headed into June, the 44.7 has really buoyed the market, technically speaking. But I think we can come back into this area safely and still not have any red flags. There's a level on here that I'm actually missing that I'm going to highlight just for purposes of the future. And that's the classic 61.8% level. I don't think we'll get down here, but if we do, that denotes a completely different scenario. It actually starts to get a little fuzzy if we get down here to 3,500 on the S&P. But again, this summer has actually been really fun trading in the markets. And that's seasonally, that's not always the case. I'll show you another look of the market. This is from a daily view, but I'll show you just from a smaller view, from a trader's view or a certain type of trader view, what we were looking at as well. Getting closer in and now looking at the SPY, another ETF that tracks the S&P 500, you can see some of the markups here. And I just wanted to show this briefly to show that some of the patterns that I'd love to see, some of the price resistance and support zones really played out during the summer. And it made this a really fun market for those that are nimble in the markets. And for those that are not, I, again, I would just really encourage you going forward that the market seems to be behaving uh, more along the lines of what, you know, technicians would say the chart behavior looks about right. And even though we've had a pretty heavy sell-off in the last few days, I'm not necessarily saying this is something that, you know, you should go out and buy the dip. In fact, I never would say that. Don't trust, you know, guys on the internet talking to you about buying dips and things of that nature. So I wouldn't say that anyway. But I would say, again, look for the support that we had mid-June to sort of hold. And anywhere in this range, uh, as I translate from the SPX to the SPY, I still think that it's a 380 here down to 360 is roughly the range that we will look for the market to go back up. Uh, there's one particular area of interest that I'll show you here. And this was a couple of weeks ago on August 26th, you had a really big red candle here in the sell-off. This was due to the Fed at their Jackson Hole uh, Economic Conference that they had on that Friday, really kind of rolled the markets, uh, got us in our feelings. But again, technically this was a lot of fun. As we look at the QQQ, which is the ETF trust for the NASDAQ, NASDAQ index, you're looking at pretty much the same picture, just with the extra volatility added into by the NASDAQ versus the S&P. Again, if I was to draw the Fibonacci's from the top to the bottom, you're going to see the same sort of resistance come into play here. Change the colors to make it consistent with what I had prior to on the S&P. And here it was the 44.7. So you can see that the retracement wasn't as high on the NASDAQ as it was on the S&P. But still, as we come down, we're stay, as long as we stay above 61.8, we're pretty much good. It was 57.3%, which is at 269, 270, roughly speaking. I think as long as we stay above, you know, 
287 to this range, same sort of thing, same sort of deal. You can look at the price action, the prior support zones, and kind of really see this general area. As long as we stay above here, I think we're good. Now, again, this is a chart that is showing the NASDAQ's futures, which is the futures market version of the NASDAQ. This is something that I personally trade uh, for myself and others going forward. And I just wanted to highlight, emphasize that this has been a really uh, a fun market to trade. It has been a trader's market for the summer. That's going up because even as we've gone up, it looks like a lot of whipsaws. But as you can see, there's been a lot of touches of these colorful lines, which again are points of support and resistance at different levels of intensity as we've gone up the market. For those that trade like we do, that has offered us tremendous opportunities over the last two months to get in and out of the market uh, in a fairly routine, very systematic type way. I can never be certain that the market's gonna you know, support that going forward, but it's really good to recognize these spots as you get them. And one thing to emphasize that same day where we had that big sell-off in the market, and we'll talk a little bit why that is as we get into the more macroeconomic part of this monthly market mix. But a lot of investors, and traders, too, get lulled into market action, whereas really quickly, I'll show you here the type of back and forth action that you see in the markets as it moved up during the summer through July into August, culminating in the top of August, middle, middle part of August. This initial sell off and especially this move here as we move back. And I know it may be a little distracting, but as you can see, the price spiked into these lines. This is classic technical behavior of the market basically working on its own. The culminating excuse here was the Fed coming out at that economic forum and Jackson Hole saying that although they were looking at maybe having inflation peaked in the near term, all the indicators seem to suggest so, the Fed expects inflation to remain elevated. So what he's really saying is, the rate of inflation that we've been feeling, the, the actual speed at which or the acceleration at which prices have gotten more expensive in goods and services and utilities and uh, energy costs, everything, that has slowed down, but the actual cost of them staying high is seemingly going to be here for a protect, protracted period of time. Uh, the markets didn't like that. As a trader, I love this. I love this sell-off because we were able to sell into it and make a profit. Same thing as we come back through here, uh, roughly at the end of last month, and we've able to come down to the lows. But as you can see, we're starting to come back into the area, even as traders looking at it, we may find some support in the near term. But I just wanted to show this chart to show that there's many sides to this market game. As an investor, you can learn some stuff. As a trader, you can learn some stuff. And at Black's Academy, we offer it all. So come see us. Lastly, in these types of charts, the I didn't really pay too much to our small caps. Early in the year, I was looking at the small caps as a proverbial canary in the mine to show where the other indices, the, the tech stocks and the NASDAQ and the general market, the S&P 500, where they could have been going wrong were showing us some miscues. But as you can see, this chart looks about like the others, at least at this level. And it's showing basically the same path. We've come up, we've hit a resistance. Now we're heading lower to find hopefully support right around this area 
173, maybe 170. If it gets much lower than this, I may find some concern, but for right now, I would just say rest easy, let the markets play out and let things come to you. So with that being said, we're going to go to a more macroeconomic tone in this monthly market mix. And we're going to talk about the Fed's new quote unquote plan. So at the last economic summit, the Federal Reserve has basically stated that even though they've raised rates aggressively, they're now in the benchmark interest rate range of two and a quarter percent to two and a half percent. They're still shaping the narrative and trying to shape the public expectation, much like President Joe Biden misspoke in July about inflation suddenly being zero. That was incorrect is that the rate of inflation had not changed, but inflation was still high. And the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, on August 26th addressed this directly and basically saying that, hey, the Fed now sees that inflation is pretty much here to stay, or at least in the outlook that they're going to see. And they typically look out six to 12 months, sometimes out to 18 months, but they, whatever they're looking at, they see inflation ahead and they see it here to stay prices elevated, and a lot of the same market pressure. So instead of trying to engineer what they call a soft landing, the Fed has come up with another term, which is, to me, is kind of laughable, but we probably need to talk about a soft landing just to give us some context. So what's a soft landing? A soft landing is when the economy slows enough to curb the demand and, you know, by extension, curve inflation, but it doesn't slow so much as to trigger a full-blown contraction in the GDP, which is a measure of how much the economy is expanding. Remember, we typically always want our economy to, to expand. What's been happening recently is that everything is expanding too much at a pace to where the consumer cannot keep up with the prices. Well, a soft landing, like the one that the Federal Reserve had in 1994, is what the Fed now is going to their playbook saying, hey, this is what we need now. The only difference between then and now between, you know, oh, roughly 28 years, give or take some, is the fact that the economic conditions of the mid-90s were grossly different than they are now. Part of that is the idea and the implementation ex execution of globalization probably has peaked, or at least it's peaked in the near term, whereas in the 90s, mid-90s, globalization was really just kicking off. And at the same time, you had countries opening their borders to trade, which of course softens the prices instead of right now where we have trade embargoes like the U.S. and China still have the Trump era trade embargoes in place. We still have a lot of geopolitical upheaval going on, a lot of people not really getting along. These things tend to raise prices and tend to be hindrances to trade instead of facilitating trade and making prices cheaper and competing and that sort of things. The other part of this is the fact that the labor force, for example, in the 90s, you still had boomers still in their money-making years, a lot of expansion going on, and we had real productivity growth as a result of the labor force growth as well. You can see from the charts, it's not so much anymore. Plus, given the coronavirus pandemic, we had a big shearing of the labor force 
And what has resulted has been some sort of nebulous, not sure world in which labor force, we've re even though we're growing now, the, the last uh, BLS labor report just said that we're expanding in terms of the labor force, we are still underrepresented in terms of how many people are actually working compared to what needs to be to actually get the real labor productivity balance going. So in short, we don't have the labor force. We have things like the quiet quitting. We've had the, the great resignation. These things that happened in the last two, two and a half years that have greatly affected at least the measurements of how we look at the economy. And we can feel those things because for the workers that are out there now, it's really simple. If you have less laborers than you actually need, the ones that you have are in higher demand and can therefore demand higher wages. And that's really convenient if you have a job, especially when it's high, high demand, because you can demand labor that helps you pay up to what inflation goes. The only problem is, as long as you can pay those prices, the prices remain elevated. So the Fed's plan in, for this soft landing, even back in the 90s when Greenspan was at the helm of the Fed, it was a combination of smart policy, but also having luck. And the Fed this time may not have luck and the policy may not work out as well either. It's just one of those things we have to watch as we go forward. Now, I know you're probably asking, like I was asking before I heard this term, because I had, hadn't heard this term before, what exactly is a growth recession? Well, it's really an almost recession. What you really want is for economic production, growth, expansion to slow down a bit, but not to stop. It's like, again, going in a car, instead of going at 70 miles an hour, you'd much rather go at 25 miles an hour instead of stopping or even worse, going in reverse, which could be dangerous. The same thing is what the Fed wants to do. They want to slow it down. And honestly, one of the strange byproducts of this is the Fed and a lot of, uh, well, the Fed won't come out and say it, but a lot of economists are saying that we need more or higher unemployment, which is, again, it's another weird situation where companies are more apt to fire than hire. That's not the case right now. Companies are looking to hire more. The Fed wants to reverse this without grinding the economy to a halt. To me, it's an unenviable position, but I guess that's why the Fed governors do what they do, and this is why I trade and invest. But keep this historical. As we look back all the way back to 1965, we can look at some of this almost as nostalgia for some of us who may be market historians, but you can see that the Fed doesn't have necessarily the best track record when you look at its Fed monetary policy cycle, which is a cycle between it raising rates to address the issues and contracting rates to address the issues. So the probability is up, you know, of the Fed actually hitting this is out to lunch. I don't know. We'll be watching, we'll be waiting but I'm not necessarily going to be betting on the Fed to stick this growth recession, soft landing, whatever they want to call it. I'm going to be looking for the Fed to actually try to shape the narrative to the public that they're just going to be in control. So the question remains, has inflation peaked? According to consumer price inflation, the indicator that basically looks at a basket of goods to measure how much they've grown over a certain period of time, 
has shown that we've come off of a peak in June of 9.1% in the United States, and it's quote unquote slowed to 8.5%. And there's a lot of reasons, one of which to me is a big one is energy that thinks that, you know, energy prices have come down considerably and energy prices were a big component in the headline CPI number. So if energy prices have come down and you probably have noticed in or at the pumps rather, there's a good chance that the CPI, which denotes you no know, inflation prices, is coming down and inflation really has slowed. But as the Fed is looking at, as we can see and still feel, the economic pressures in this condition, they stay. They're still here. And nobody really wants to admit this, but there's still a chance for an acceleration of inflation. I want to look at a couple other things as well. Again, the big piece of the CPI component that has been driving it for at least the last 12 months has been energy prices. And you can see it everywhere from your utilities to, of course, transportation costs to everywhere, but energy has been a big one. But don't discount food prices as well. Food prices have been kick kicking people's butt for at least a year, and it looks to stay elevated. Part of that is because of some of the uh, global situations that we have with trade, but also with climate and weather not just here in the United States, but around the world. Now, before we leave the topic completely, I want to take a moment to look at one of the charts. Actually, probably my best chart since starting the monthly market mixes, and that's of crude oil prices. The reason I bring up crude oil prices is because, as we were just talking about in the CPI, energy is the most outsized component as we're looking at the quick rate of change in inflationary prices in the United States and across the world. One of the huge factors in that was crude oil, the rise of crude oil. And we know why it rose in the beginning of this year, but I'd like to point back to even December of 2021. And even further back, the further back you go, you can see that crude oil prices were rising as risk assets like equities and stocks and things were rising as well. The one reprieve we had, and this is probably contributing to the fact that the CPI did top out at 9.1%, you can see in June here, we hit at this 81% retracement level, like we thought we would because of the pattern. Prices have fallen precipitously in crude oil, and you're probably, again, seeing this reflected at the pumps. We talked in the last monthly market mix that there's not a one-to-one -one correlation between crude oil futures and what you see at the pump. There's actually an Arbob gasoline component that comes in between there. It's a really interesting study. Go Just go back to our last monthly market mix and you'll see what we're talking about there. But the correlation is strong enough that as crude goes, so does Arbob gasoline and so does what you see at the pump. One of the things I want to quickly bring into focus here is that because of this chart, because of this nice pattern that we've outlined again, as people were talking about triangle, I was never fooled by it being a triangle. It's actually what we call a flat pattern. The flat cane did its classic 81.81% retracement. And it's moved back down now, and we had something of a double, double bottom right now about where we are at about $89 a barrel. As you can see, these dotted lines are denoting spots in the market, which were once resistance point. It was hard to get above in October 2021, but after we're broken through, it's providing some support. I'm thinking that this 89 level is a key area for oil. As long as we stay above it, there is some risk that we can start seeing oil prices rising again. 
What that means is that the CPI component where energy is rising again will also have an outsized effect. We can start seeing inflation going up. And this is why the Fed is still saying in the long term, they're seeing a protracted reason as to why inflation will stay pretty high. Prices will stay pretty high. And at a worst case scenario, we could still make new highs. I don't really see that next, but I will tell you between, and this is sort of a wide range as we are here, the 89 range up to maybe one, maybe 100, maybe 108. If we can stay contained between here, we may see some of the economy kind of shift and get to more of that growth recession that they're looking for. But above these numbers, if we bounce off of this support zone where we are right now, there's still some upside worry. Now, the Fed takes a different look other than CPI. They check on the CPI, but where they make their decisions is on another indicator. We've talked about this a little before. The Fed prioritizes PCE, which is personal consumption expenditure, just a different look at the same animal, roughly speaking, which again, the numbers are different. You see, as PCE is at 6.3% versus CPI at 8.5. What does that mean? Well, it gets a little dicey, but here's the thing that you need to know. The Fed's ideal for PCE is 2.0%. What we know now is where we are now, we're more than three times hotter than that in terms of inflation. That has the Fed concern that has them at the ready to handle inflation. And the way that the Fed handles inflation is through monetary policy, which means that even though they're probably going to pause on the rate hikes because they, did, they were really aggressive over the summer, there's a chance that the Fed still can push some more rate hikes in the future if they see so. Now, while knowing what the Fed's looking at and knowing their stance on inflation may be useful, what you're really probably here to know is how does this affect my portfolio, my stocks, my real estate? Well, what you need to know is inflation is likely here to stay. We don't know how long, but as we discussed at our halftime report, you really have to shift your mindset to thinking about inflation and how it affects your portfolio in a completely different way if you haven't already. If you look, do any searching on the net, uh, probably talk to any of your advisors, at least the average ones, you're probably going to see a list like what we have here as being quote unquote inflation or recession proof investments. One of the ones that comes up is if you basically look at all the sectors of the market, all the industrial sectors, whether you're talking about retail, basic materials and good industrials themselves, technology, financials, energy, utilities, look at all the sectors. If you decide to equal weight these, weigh them all at the same slice of your new money that you're allocating to the markets, that's one way to recession proof because what you're doing is a mild dare I say, form of diversification. I don't really think it is, but that's one approach. Uh, one of the other classic things is utility stocks, because as you can see, your utility price is going to go up and utility companies often add dividends. And because they're very mature, it's not like a growth minded type of investment. It's something that's going to hold and retain value and hopefully shell off some, some cash as you're paying into the system. The other thing is 
consumer staples, uh, your basic needs. These are also very classic plays. Healthcare, real estate is considered to be an inflation hedge. Uh, value focused, you know, value focused investments in general, but ETFs and mutual funds, which are collections of uh, individual stocks within that same value categorization, are considered to be, you know, inflation proof investments. Also, small cap stocks and U.S. Treasuries. Well, I take specific issues, particularly with the last two. So I'm just going to take those off. And to be honest, this list is okay, but I think there is a completely different way that you can look at some of the stuff that you actually have now and just reorder it or really reapply the same concepts that you were going for. And I think that going forward, this may be a much better uh, or well-purposed mindset about which types of investments to choose. And what we call this, and I, this is something I borrowed from a really good friend of mine who, again, knows markets, lives markets, eats markets, taught me a lot about markets, and we call it RIDE. And RIDE is the acronym that stands for Recession, Inflation, and Decelerating Economics. We've been talking about deceleration as being a goal from the Fed. So whether the market is actually decelerating on its own, slowing down on its own, or it's part of the Fed's active engagement to slow down the economy so that we tamp down some of the pressures caused by rising and quickly rising prices. There are elements within the economy that actually benefit. Some investments are considered to be recession-proof. I've heard this a lot. You know, I'm, I try to be leery of those things when you say it's, you know, proof or there's a guarantee. Anytime you talk about investments and you use the word guarantee, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. But there are businesses that fare well with rising inflation costs. Uh, you just have to really think about it in a completely different way. One of the things now that we're seeing that is troubling for uh, the economics, you know, economists of the group is the fact that retail spending, retailers seem to be right now pretty flush with cash. But if you look at some areas of retail spending, you see large warehouses with gargantuan inventories that are costing companies tons of money because on the surface, things look fine, but underneath the surface, things are not well at all. So what do you do in retail? Well, look away from the places that may be affected by having these monstrous inventories of products. Look for maybe more service-based things, which again, still can be affected by, uh, you know, rising inflation costs. But what you want to do is find businesses, whether it's in retail or anywhere, that are able to either deflect away the prices or pass them on to their consumers and things are just fine. One of the things that typically fares well in recessions is luxury, unless we hit it. Because they, if you're able to afford luxury, you're going to be able to do it in almost every market condition. On the opposite end of that, you can look for some very low cost things. Instead of looking at maybe even the Walmarts or the, you know, the big box names, look for some of the smaller ones in that space that are able to better optimize their space, but also those that have better control of their supply chain. So there's a balancing act that has to go out here when you're looking at it in terms of recession, inflation, decelerating economics. Now, I know some of you, probably most of you, 
are looking into a lot of areas where you've had growth stocks. One tempting area, this is one area that people say don't invest in, and I'll say it's technology. By and large, I would probably tell people to stay away from technology. But technology itself is such a broad category that it really needs some introspection instead of just grossly, you know, throwing out, say, hey, I'm with technology, I'm going to ride or die, or I'm not touching it because I know that technology suffers in periods like this, especially startup companies, a lot of the so-called unicorns that, you know, had billions in funding, but now VCs and, uh, you know, other funding sources have dried up for them and they're not making money on these newfound ideas where they're paying a lot of money to develop things for the future. You can still stay away from those, but there are some areas, even within technology, that are going to be relatively recession-proof. One area in technology that stands out to me as having, again, no certainty, but high likelihood of high demand in the future, regardless of all but the most catastrophic situations economically, is cybersecurity. Whether we go back to the offices and embrace the old or come to some agreement about the new and continue to work from home, no matter how you slice it, cybersecurity itself is broad reaching, but it's a specific niche in technology that I think walking forward, you'll find local governments, municipalities, and also around the globe, people willing to pay money. and. The play here is to not just look at, again, local or domestic stocks and businesses that are ingrained into cybersecurity, but also look across the globe. Europe's general data protection protocols will offer a different flavor than you have in the United States because they're more sensitive to personal data rights than we are. So the companies and technologies that emerge with the Eurocentric view, it's going to be different from the things here in the United States. These are opportunities worth researching. There are companies out there, there are companies to come. And this is just one of many areas that really hold on to our ride protocol and help you ride it out no matter whether we're in a recession, whether the economy comes roaring back, which is also a very distinct possibility as we go forward. So if you want to know more about our ride acronym, about more companies, about how we go about implementing this strategy, check us out. We'll be talking about it more at our upcoming fall boot camp. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about trading, and we're going to have some other friends to join us to make it really an outstanding event. So make sure you sign up for Blacks. Make sure you're following us and make sure you don't miss out on that. But now we're going to shift gears a bit and talk more at the world level, less about equity markets and stock and growth, and more about some of the things that we can do moving forward this week. In the world markets this week, I wanted to make sure that I highlighted some of the commodity currencies. The reason I'm doing this is because commodities as a sector or a part of the economic cycle tends to be another thing that can help you ride it out because commodity prices tend to work well with inflation. They tend to inflate. The need for these raw materials, goods, and services remains elevated as polished and refined stuff still needs to be made. 
So one of the things just diverging away a little from the investment themes here, I want to talk to my traders, especially those that know more about the larger markets. And if you don't, again, we have tons of trading courses, starting with our foundations trading course, which is an absolute must for those of you who are even remotely interested in trading. One of the types of trading that we do is very technical chart based, but we also can get down with the changes in the economic world as well. We can look at macroeconomics, like what I'm going to show you here. This is a very busy week we have coming up. We have three central bank monetary policy meetings on deck, along with some very key economic indicators being reported by some of the world's largest and most influential economies. One thing why we emphasize on the worldview at Blacks Academy is because as traders, as investors, you don't want to get just narrow focus in. And even as you learn what some of the things are here, like we've been talking about CPI for months, we've been talking about how the Fed, uh, you know, affects the monetary policy and of course our economic outcomes. But guess what? There are central banks across the pond, depending on which pond you're talking about, Atlantic, Pacific, all the oceans. Look at the G7 economies and you'll find the same types of under opportunities available to you. So if you understand them enough to engage in the markets here, hopefully safely by taking good risk management policies as well, you can also engage other markets. For example, coming up on Tuesday after the holiday, you're going to have Australia's what they call their cash rate. That's nothing but their monetary policy meeting. The Reserve Bank of Australia is looking to raise their rates just like some of the other central banks have done over the summer. This raising of the rates is a key event. I can show you on some charts. In fact, I probably will as to where, how, if you know what's going on with the rate decisions, what's expected, what's happening. And also you can read a chart. You can turn this into your advantage. Technically, this is called risk event opportunities. This is a style of trading that looks to take advantage of economic change, uh, conditions changing rapidly. It can be a lot of fun if you know what you're not know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, it can be an absolute nightmare. Also, the Bank of Canada, following up on Wednesday, the next morning, is going to have their rate statement as well. They're expected to raise just like Australia's raised. A lot of the banks are gonna be raising. Then as we come into Thursday, we're going to have the European Union, which they're always really interesting to me because of the menagerie of countries that they have to take into. Their monetary policy is always going to be much lower to raise, but I think they've gotten to a point because of their energy situation and just because of global indications all around the world, they can't just isolate themselves. They're the largest economy, um, one of the largest economies in the world, it can be larger than the United States, at least it was at one point in time when you look at the amalgam of the EU nations as a whole. So they're a huge economic region, but they can't make moves as fast as Australia or New Zealand or Canada. They can't even make moves as fast as the United States because how it affects that European Union, the Eurozone, if you will, is uneven across the board. So that Thursday morning meeting is going to be very important. And especially at 8.45 a.m. Eastern, the ECB press conference where Christine Lagarde will get up and talk about the conditions in Europe 
investors and traders pay a lot of attention to that, expect some market volatility. And then on Friday, even though the Bank of Canada will set the monetary policy early in the week, the employment numbers for Canada are going to come out, and that also can move the market. Again, for those that you're interested in trading and different styles of trading that you may know of, this risk event trading is one of the key things to pay attention to. Specifically, one of the things I'll tell you, and this is a freebie. If you follow well enough, if you're well-versed and researched enough, you'll notice that regional partners, two economies that are tied to the hip, like the United States and Canada, like Australia and China, you'll find one that's sort of a bigger sibling and a smaller sibling, but they're, again, geographically tied. Their trade's often tied. We've talked before of how Canada supplies the United States with most of its oil as exports. And the United States supplies some oil to Canada too. So there's a lot of trading going on between the two. Guess what? The monetary policies also align. Oftentimes, if you look at just the dates and what's expected, you'll see that one will follow the other. I don't want to spoil it for you, but you can kind of see it here. If you look at the dates on the calendar and look at the actual changes to the rates, you can see that here in March, Canada had their rate decision on the 2nd, where the United States followed on a two-day event. And typically in the United States, it is a two-day event on the 15th and 16th. You can see that both ended up changing. Canada changed again, their monetary policy bumping it up when they had the me meeting in April. Well, the United States did not have a meeting in April, but they followed in May and made a subsequent change of 50 basis points or half a percent. Same thing kind of goes on and you get the drift as we go through the, the meetings. Well, as we're coming up on the 7th this week, the Bank of Canada is expected to hike. We'll see what happens. The United States Federal Reserve will follow on the 20th and 21st. As traders, you have to craft your narratives and your hypotheses and come up with a trading plan. But little clues like this may be able to give you some edge or give you some informational advantage that lets the trade come to you instead of you trying to force some things and make a mistake. Remember, the Bank of Canada is basically the monetary policy or central bank for Canada. We talked about having commodity currencies. Well, Canada is a commodity-based currency. They export a lot of things. Namely, one of those things is oil. This is one of the plays that I think, as we look back, and I won't show any of the specifics that a lot of people may be interested in, and it's something that you can take advantage of. Lastly, as we draw to a close, I wanted to talk also about something that, as we head into the fourth quarter, may become an exceedingly important thing in the markets. This is nothing necessarily to take advantage of, but it's something to as you're searching for opportunities to make sure that you are aware of. Uh, liquid natural gas has been restricted from what I'll call the East as it pertains to the European Union. In short, the European Union got caught with its pants down and did not have a head for what was really weird. This has been a summer of exceedingly high, price, high temperatures and climate in the EU, really around the world. You saw Temperatures exceeding 40 degrees, 44 degrees in some places Celsius in the hundreds on Fahrenheit scale across Western Europe, 
all over Europe, really, but their energy prices have skyrocketed in just the last year. It has been absolutely incredible. Their policymakers and political leaders are, are scrambling to find some sources and solutions, but with prices being driven on the open market as they have, they have no hedges and the leaders are calling it a market failure. But if they don't get this energy underhand, well, the weather does change and change it most likely will, they're going to have some severe heating issues for, again, one of the world's largest economic regions. And this is something that we'll need to be abreast of. We'll talk more as it develops. But as we come into the fourth quarter, and again, in these temperate climate zones, they start to change, temperate going all the way up to Arctic climate zones changing. This is going to be an issue. Well, I'm going to stop there. And I hope that you learned something. I hope that we prepared you more for not just this week, but to have a trading mindset going through for the entire month. I hope you enjoyed this. Again, come visit us at Black's Academy. And we hope that you always have enough to move forward. Thank you. For more information about our trading and investing courses, visit www.blacks.academy. That's B-L-A-X-E dot academy.